This is Mark Kelly, and I'm part of the leadership at City Church Leeds, and I want to thank you for downloading this podcast. I hope that it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. If you find these podcasts helpful, would you please consider standing with us and supporting us? For more information about this and other resources and media, please visit citychurchleads.net. You know that feeling when God's already said what you had it in your heart to say? Yes, well, I'll just go home now. (laughs) A few weeks back, uh, I was um, asked to uh, prepare something for uh, a ladies' day down at Nettle Hill. And um, I feel it's relevant for us as much as it was then. We're going to take a moment this morning to pause. You know that word in the Psalms, Selah? It's a, it's a musical or a liturgical term, meaning uh, pause or rest. And you might be thinking, well, what on earth has that got to do with what's preceded this weekend? We've had um, Mark talked about one of the big questions that people who are seeking God and may not have completed their journeys towards him yet. One of the big questions being science and religion. And then last week we had that brilliant um, precursor to the next Alpha course. Do you remember? Caleb, I think his name was, young man on the, on the video. Um, and we're going to carry on looking at big questions and we're going to move into uh, looking at the Gospels through, through these coming months. But I think in the midst of everything, just a few moments to pause is really, really beneficial. Um, So will you bear with me? Les is going to play uh, just the first track on an album, which is quite old now. Um, But it's called Hungry. And the words are... um, I'm empty. I know your love doesn't run dry. I come to you, for I know that you satisfy. And I wait for you. Let's just listen to that first track. Thanks, Les. Thank you. 
Father, your word tells us when we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. After all the years we've walked with you, Lord God, however many that may be, we still want to be desperate for your presence, for our hunger not to be diminished. Father, in this seal our moment that we have, will you draw near to us? Help us to still and quiet our souls like the weaned child so that we can clearly hear your voice. Lord God, we ask you in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, when I was, when I was asked a few weeks back, as I said, to, to, to do something on the ladies' day, you know, you think, <laughs> So um, there I was, cleaning the shower. Often happens, you know, I'm cleaning the bathroom or something. And God downloads a word. And you know that when that happens, uh, his word is a bit like the experience of moving into the TARDIS. It's infinitely more magnificent and enthralling and uh, expansive and extensive than it looks on the outside. And the word, or two words actually, that came to my spirit were first love. And I thought, okay. Um, And there were so many, as I began to think around it, there were so many thoughts and connections and interlinkings that initially I had no idea how to make it coherent. But God helped me, and staggeringly, he gave me three points, three headings. Can you believe that? Doesn't happen to me. I operate in spaghetti terms. And my three headings all began with P. So they were passion and pilgrimage and purpose. Now, we all know well that Jesus said to the church at Ephesus uh, something that kind of stops us in our tracks a bit. He said, um, you work really hard, you persevere, you're very discerning, you're very patient, you're patient in suffering. We think, wow, what an amazing church. How do his commendations translate into our lives We're involved in so many areas of responsibility. We have work or study, family connections. We're involved with neighbors. We're involved with projects in the UK or overseas. We're involved with life groups, children and youth work, stewarding, music, alpha. The list goes on and on, doesn't it? And Jesus continues, Yet, I have this one charge to make against you, that you have left. Some translations say, abandoned or forsaken, the love that you had at first. You've deserted me, your first love. Repent and do the things you did at first. It's very easy. It's really easy. I know it's easy to have a wonderful time of worship, such as we had this morning, to pray prayers full of faith. But then I'm brought up short, and I think, am I still walking in my first love? Is that first love as fresh today as it was when Jesus first met me? And I want you to take just a moment to remember that, that time when he first met you. However many years ago that is, just think back 
and consider what it was like. Where were you? What season was it? What time was it? Were people with you? Were there any smells or sensations that you can remember at that time? Were, what was it like? Just take a moment to remember. And if it helps you, just jot those things down. Isn't it a delight to remember? It is to me. I love it. I could go on forever about it. I'd been captured. My life was turned upside down. I'd yearned for the felt sense of the Lord being around in the ordinariness of my days. For me, the word was passion. And at the time, now this, you know, hold on to your seats, guys. This was over 40 years ago. Can you believe that? It was, it was a bit rude. People didn't talk in those terms then. It was considered somehow inappropriate. But I could not diminish what that moment was like and how life was for me now. And I felt I was clueless. I was clueless about the Bible, really. I knew that you know Genesis was at one end and Revelation was at the other, but that was about it. I knew there were four Gospels. That's about it, really. And then I found the Song of Songs, and there's a verse which is repeated in, uh, it occurs first of all in chapter 2 and then it's repeated in chapter 8 and it says this his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me and that's how I'd felt in that moment I'd felt as though God had embraced me but I didn't realize that uh, that wasn't the end of things that life wasn't just going to be this kind of exciting day by day, oh, just full of fears and joy. Because then comes the pilgrimage. From that moment that we meet the Lord, that moment of experience or however it was for you, we are then set on a pilgrimage. And all I knew in those early days was, was that my yearning for his presence didn't diminish it just carried on, and I, and then, <laughs> it's kind of, you know, finding out after the event, really. Then I discovered Psalm 84, and Psalm 84 says, among other things, blessed are those whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they walk through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, they make it a place of springs, the autumn rains also cover it with pools, the rains of blessing. They go from strength to strength till they appear before the Lord in Zion. To be a pilgrim is different from being a nomad. I looked up these words. Nomad means one who moves from place to place looking for pasture for livestock. A pilgrim is one who journeys to a sacred place. And on the inside of us, we recognize that, don't we? We are on a journey which is a pursuit of him. He is our sacred place. To be a pilgrim is to have a clear sense of the goal and the purpose of the pilgrimage, which is so much more than just the material. But I'd got no grasp of that in those early days. And it continues through the years. We can't really opt out it continues through all the pressures, 
through the disappointments, the unfulfilled dreams or expectations. It may be that we've longed to be married and it hasn't happened. It may be that family life isn't turning out to be all it was cracked up to be. It may be that we know failed personal relationships for our children, for our friends. We've got to cope with the ups and downs of church life, career, redundancy, illness, loss. And at the very least, that familiarity, which, as they say, breeds contempt. And we think to ourselves, no, it can't possibly, we can't possibly get like that about Jesus. But it is possible to get to the stage where being a Christian is how we define ourselves. It has little substance. I'm ABC, and oh yes, I'm a Christian. And we ask ourselves, where is he in it all? This God who was the wellspring of our joy in the early, de early days. That inner source on the inside of us gets clogged with the silt and the twigs and the dead leaves and the rubbish of circumstance and our passion diminishes. We hang on to, I'll never fail you and I'll never forsake you. But our pilgrimage, our day-to-day -day lives, becomes a bit like painting by numbers. It's a bit like, um, we'll just carry on, we'll just do it because we're Christians and that's what we do. But we can be weighed down and our hope can be dimmed. Psalm 42, you remember, talks about the deer panting for water. And the psalmist says, why are you so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, for you will yet praise him. And I just want to be if I say I want to be real, I want to give us, each one, personally and quietly, an opportunity to be real, to say to the Lord, actually, Lord, yeah, that first love that I had has diminished. Stuff has happened, and I don't want it to be like this. But to put our hope in God, how can we do that? Well, I've got a few suggestions, which may, I hope, may spark something, something for you. And the first, they've just helped me. The first suggestion is, first, is, to, is to give thanks, to choose to give thanks. In the middle of it all, choose to give thanks. Reflect on your years. Think back over your pilgrimage. I am convinced that nothing in our lives is wasted in the economy of God. Nothing is wasted. Whether it's been an unhappy childhood, low self-esteem, failed exams, sense of inadequacy, disappointing relationships, broken nights, sick squabbles, anxiety over teenage offspring, anxiety over adult offspring. I mean, the, the stuff goes on and on, doesn't it? But we can choose to give thanks for his having kept us in whatever life has thrown at us. During what were often my humdrum days of small children, my perspective was transformed and this was literally over the nappy bucket. You know, in those days there weren't disposable nappies. We had to have buckets of stuff that we put Terry nappies in. Literally over the nappy bucket, uh, God reminded me, there's a verse in Zechariah, Zechariah 14, verse 20. It says, 
In that day, the cooking pots in the Lord's house will be like the sacred bowls in front of the altar, holy to the Lord. I thought, I'm having that. I'm having that. What I'm involved in is holy to the Lord. And Colossians, we know so well, we know, don't we? Colossians says, whatever you do, do it as if you're doing it for him. Whatever you do, whether it's cleaning loose or looking after sick, sick children or whatever it is, do it as if you're doing it for him and give thanks. I'm reminded of, uh, you know, the story of the, the ten lepers whom Jesus healed. And uh, one of them came back to him uh, to give thanks, to say thank you to him. And he said to the leper, where, where are the other nine? They'd gone to show themselves, as they had to in those days, to the priest. And Jesus looked at this one man and said to him, your faith has made you well. And I thought, well, he's well already. Jesus has healed him. What does he mean? And uh, actually, we were talking about this in children's work one day. It was a story of the ten lepers. And we had talked about how uh, being a leper meant you were outcast, you uh, were separated from your family, you were a diminished human being. And when this man came back and said thank you to Jesus, and Jesus said, your faith has made you well, I really believe that what Jesus was saying was, you are well from the core of your being to your physical self. You are well in your thinking about yourself now. You are well in your acceptance of who I've made you to be. His healing was a complete restoration of his whole being, not just the physical, the physical body. And I think, um, you know, that thing about Thanksgiving, the days when the sun shines, the days when it pours with rain, desperate times, unexpected loss, marriage breakdown, looking at a, an adult child who is grieving for the loss of a relationship when you can do nothing to change the situation, but nevertheless, God hasn't stopped being good. Nevertheless, our hearts can say like the, the beginning of the Psalm, uh, Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. There's, um, uh, there was a moment for me a few years ago where uh, God said to me, and some of you have heard me say this before, but it's so important to me. If I stripped everything away, your family, your church support, Everything, everything that is around you now in a kind of support network. What would you say about me? And, uh, and I thought, and I came to the conclusion that what I would say is, Lord, you are good. You are good. And I think if you haven't already done so, it's important to come to... Uh, what you might call your core statement about God. Because that core statement will be your rod. It will be your staff. It will be your marker in the middle of whatever life throws at you. It helps. 
having come to that conclusion about who you believe God to be. So that's the, that's the first thing to put our hope in God. It's giving thanks. The second thing is uh, biblical characters. There are people in the word who have walked faithfully. We can look at them and take encouragement from who they are. Walked faithfully through the years when there was not a lot going on for them, really. One of those is Elizabeth. You know, here she was, Elizabeth, Mary's cousin. She was childless. And in those days, the, uh, the value of a woman was in her childbearing capacity. Childlessness was considered a curse. Yet she and Zachariah had uh, walked faithfully, both from priestly families. And here we have this meeting between Mary, the young Mary, probably a teenager, who has conceived by the Holy Spirit this hope of the nations, who goes to see Elizabeth. And there in Elizabeth, with John growing on the inside of her, much greater with child than Mary is at that moment, in Elizabeth there is simply a recognition of the goodness of God how can it be, she says, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? She speaks prophetically. She doesn't know about this. She has maintained a pure heart before God. There's no sense of bitterness or anger or anything in her. Why should you have a child? Look, I've had to wait all these years. I've, I've been rejected. I've been judged because I'm childless. But her heart is full of faith toward God. Her name actually means God is my satisfaction or abundance or plenty. That's what her name means. And she remained faithful. So she was able to speak into Mary, to speak, uh, I suppose, further encouragement into Mary. Mary knew that this child she was going to bear was exceptional. But here's her cousin saying, you are the mother of my Lord. How wonderful. And here's a woman full of years who has remained fresh in her walk with the Lord. Another, uh, another one is Anna. You know Anna, the prophetess, who just waited in the temple. Uh, it says she had been a widow for 84 years. She's an elderly lady. She has no children, and yet there she is, her heart towards God, soft and attentive and hearing, so that when Simeon prophesies into Jesus, she comes alongside too, and she sees as well. And what she does is to go out and talk to people about this child who's been given. It's wonderful, such encouragement. There'll be many, many other characters who just are an encouragement to us in this pilgrimage that we're on. So, giving thanks, taking encouragement from characters in the Word. And for me, what's been fun, actually, and is a bit like my Deuteronomy, it's a bit like my remembering, has been to record bits of my pilgrimage. And those of you who know my kitchen well know all these. <laughs> on the boards here, are things that I stick up. 
on my kitchen door. You're very welcome to come and have a look. Some of them are just good fun. So, for example, this was a birthday card. I think my sister sent it to me. There's this lady with a cup in her hand and a kind of middle distance, you know, look like that, which says, um, with a cup of tea in your hand, anything is possible. And it just makes me smile. It just makes me smile. Here's a birthday card from, uh, from Rebecca, our daughter. It's of a toddler on roller skates, and the background is uh, bombed buildings. It's a, it's a photograph. I would imagine it was taken, you know, mid-1940s, something like that, at the end of the Second World War. And this little thing is just laughing. There's devastation all around. But this little child is standing on, uh, I think it's a little girl, standing on her roller skates, laughing. And it just reminded me of the scripture which says, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. When things get desperate, <laughs> I just think, God, you still have a smile on your face. Every year, I buy one calendar of the Yorkshire Dales, which I love, and another calendar of the Lake District, which is where um, John Barge and I, who's just left, originally come from. Um, and the reason I have these photographs in my kitchen is that they inspire me. God speaks to us in so many different ways, doesn't he? His creation sings. His creation sings of his goodness. Your righteousness, the Psalms say, is like the mighty mountains. Your justice is like the great deep. I love it. I look at these things in the middle of whatever is going on, and I think, God, you're so good. You're just good, and I love the journey you've taken me on. This is um, that sermon which Mark has played uh, several times. It's um, uh, a black African um, preacher, American African, and it's, you'll remember it, it's called, it's called That's My King, and it begins, my king was born king. The Bible says he's a seven-way king. He's the king of the Jews. That's an ethnic king. He's the king of Israel. That's a national king. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. Now, that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. It's a wonderful sermon. You can hear it on YouTube. It's brilliant. And I read that, and I think, oh, my goodness me. This is my king. This is my king. My pilgrimage is with a king like that. This is Aesgarth Falls. Remember that deep calls to deep? It's brilliant. This, surprisingly, is me. Dark hair. Oh, look at that. Lovely dark hair. This is us as a family when the children were little. This is the collection of the meanings of their names helps me to remember why we called them the names we did and to pray for them according to their names. This is Psalm 92, part of Psalm 92, which says, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. 
planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will still bear fruit in old age. Remember that other scripture which says, once I am young and now I'm old, I think, oh Lord, yes, you were right. <laughs> Yet I've never seen the children of the righteous begging bread. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no wickedness in him. There is no wickedness in him. And these are various other images. This is from a calendar that um, John Luke uh, and Katie, John Luke's our younger son, gave us at Christmas. Uh, it's a number of images taken by a girl who's part of their church. It's of spilt blood in the sand. And underneath it just says covenant. And it wrecks me. <laughs> But it reminds me of the God who has made covenant with us in his son. So these are just bits. These are bits of my, my pilgrimage. My, uh, it's like a mood board, really. You know, if, uh, if you're trained in interior design, you, uh, you prepare when you're helping somebody maybe redesign a room, looking at where the light comes in and the shapes and the height and so on and so on. And you prepare a mood board which has got uh, paint samples and fabric samples and all that sort of thing so that the, your client can uh, decide the sort of tones and colors and shapes and so on that they want in their room. This is my mood board. It's my help to remember the goodness of God through the years on my pilgrimage. And I look at it, and it makes my heart sing. My heart sings. Do you know, we are designed to be a singing people. We are designed to be a singing people. We look at Scripture, and we find that sing is mentioned over 100 times. Song, those two separate words, is mentioned over 60 times. Psalms 120 to 134 are called the songs of ascents. They are pilgrim psalms. That's what they are. Sung by those who journeyed or ascended to the temple for the annual feasts with each psalm, each song being a step along the way. And so I found myself thinking, what's the song of my years? All those years I've walked with God. What's my song? What's your song? What's it like? Is it a song of joy? It can be a song of sadness. What is your song? There were women in the word, famously, who sang, who encouraged and led singing. Miriam being one, you know, Moses' sister. When they'd come through the Red Sea, she took her tambourine. Sarah, thank you. <laughs> and she led, she led the people in song, a song of victory. Now, Interestingly, she looks back, a lot of the song looks back over all the hardship that they've come through, but then she says, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you've redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. So there's a looking back, and then there's a prophesying into the future. We've come this far, Lord God. This is who you are. This is what you're like. You will do this. 
It's the same with Deborah. She recounts, Deborah and Barak, she recounts a lot of horrendous stuff. But then the conclusion of her song in Judges 5 is, may those who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. Brilliant. We think of Hannah. Hannah sings her song of praise after Samuel's birth. She's received from God and she sings back in the sense that she gives Samuel back to him. I can't imagine what that was like. Here's this child that she has longed for, for years and years. And her response to God's faithfulness in taking, removing her barrenness is to say, Lord, I will give this child back to you. Here's my song. Here's my life. He is yours. What an amazing woman. And then, of course, there's Mary's song, what sometimes we call the Magnificat, a wonderful song to the Lord for his past faithfulness. And then in her song as well, she makes declaration. She prophesies in song of what this child will become. So, songs, really powerful things really powerful. We talk about praise being a weapon, don't we? And it truly, truly is. There's that uh, famous story of um, Jehoshaphat. Remember Pete, that famous mime you did years and years ago, and Gina, love it, where he sends out the singers in front of the army, and all they sing is Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And in singing that, the battle is won. Jehoshaphat's been told that the battle is the Lord. Don't worry about it. You just do the right thing, and he'll see to the uh, conclusion. And when the army get to the place where they can see the opposition, there wasn't any opposition left. They had simply declared the truth in song, about who God is. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. And more than all this, you might think, where on earth is she going with this? But bear with me. More than all this, the song that is in our lives joins the song which has been woven through the universe since before the beginning. The morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy, it says in Job. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge, says Psalm 19. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you, Isaiah says. And this is our profound joy that before God made anything, he chose us, says in Ephesians. He chose us as his own. He chose us as his own. When I consider the work of your hands, the moon and stars you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor, says in Psalm 8. All this beauty, all this glory, all this creation, which shouts joy 
shouts, shouts of who God is. Of all that, he took us and he loved us and he crowned us as the pinnacle of his creation. Up here, there's a, a Rodin statue, which I love. It's of a father and a child, and I've just got attached to it. We are God's workmanship. We are God's workmanship. And in those times when we, uh, when we forget our song, when our song loses its tone, loses its mellifluousness, loses its melody, he sings it back to us. It's wonderful. I was given this lovely little friendship calendar by one of our Farsi-speaking friends. And on January, there's a, you know, it's a day a page, and there's a, there's a sentence on each day. And it says this, a friend hears the song in my heart and sings it to me when my memory fails. Isn't that amazing? Doesn't it wreck you? A friend hears the song in my heart and sings it to me when my memory fails. And I think, dear Lord, dear Lord, when my memory fails, if there's no one else around, you rejoice over me with singing. That's what it says in Zephaniah, Lord God. You rejoice over me. You sing me my song, the song that I've forgotten. I love it. <laughs> I love it. This is what it says. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's Zephaniah 3.17. And when we remember our song, and here's my third P, pilgrimage, uh, passion pilgrimage, purpose. We realize that this is our purpose. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Shout aloud and be glad. Why? What's the purpose? Because many nations will join with the one who has come to live among us and will become his people. Our song becomes part, the song that we are becomes part of the restoration of that harmonious intent which was in God's heartbeat since before the beginning. His creations become fragmented. Stuff has lost its focus. John, my John, <laughs> spoke at our fireside chat a few weeks back about uh, reaching people who haven't yet come to know the Lord in terms of making Jesus knowable. We talk about evangelism, we talk about um, outreach ministry, we, we put it in all sorts of terms, but actually we can make Jesus knowable. And we do that as we carry our song, our song which is us, which is continually fresh and exciting because our first love is our now love. It's our today love. As we carry that into every aspect of our lives, 
That's who we are. We are ordinary people who can make Jesus knowable. We change atmospheres. Ben, Ben Jones often uses this terminology. When we go somewhere into our place of work, into our uh, university or our school, to the shops, we change the atmosphere. Proverbs says, the path of the righteous grows ever brighter. It's like the first gleam of dawn shining until the full light of day. That's what we do. We bring dawn. We bring light to dark places. We are the salt and the light that um, Caleb spoke about on the, uh, on the video last week. We are the salt and the light. We bring flavor. We bring preservation. We bring hope. And hope isn't wish wishful thinking. Hope in the New Testament means the assurance of future good, not wishful thinking. Remember Psalm 84, the valley of Bacar, the valley of weeping. As we pass through it <clears throat> amongst our friends and neighbors and colleagues with their challenges and their problems and their lack of hope, we make it a place of springs, of refreshment and blessing. We just do because of who we are, because of who God's made us to be, because of the God who has walked with us and walks with us now. Bill Johnson said, I owe people an encounter. The first time I heard that, it stopped me in my tracks. We owe people an encounter with Jesus. And it's an encounter in which they're respected and honored and drawn to the point where we can say, just as Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see Come and see this God that I've told you about. Come and see this God who's walked with me over the years. God's purpose, God's ultimate purpose expressed in Ephesians 1 is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And we know that of the increase of his government and peace, there'll be no end. We're signed up. Our purpose is still his purpose. No matter how long a time or how short a time we've walked with him, that's our calling. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. So, out of our moment of Selah, in amongst what has been and what's to come, let's stir that precious first love again. If we've recognized we've lost something of it, let's find our song again and be the singing of it. Let's relate to one another and to all those who are on their journey towards meeting this God who has loved them since before the beginning. Let's do it all, not because it's the right thing to do or we know we ought to. I, th I really think <laughs> this is going to be difficult to say. I really think it would be very good if we could eliminate should and ought to from our vocabulary. I really do. Because it's the wrong sort of vocabulary. Jesus helps us always. He walks with us. He never says, you should do this. He says, come with me. We'll do it together. How about that? 
It's brilliant. It's wonderful. Singing. I've been very struck. Uh, all being well, I'll be able to find it. <clears throat> by a couple of uh, songs whose lyrics I found on wherever I found them. One of them, I honestly don't know the context for the composition, but it's Emily Sunday's song, Read All About It, which I'm sure you know. But here are the lyrics. You've got the words to change a nation, but you're biting your tongue. You've spent a lifetime stuck in silence, afraid you'll say something wrong. If no one ever hears it, how are we going to learn your song? And then there's the refrain, come on, come on. You've got a heart as loud as lions, so why let your voice be tamed? And it goes on. There are certain, certain things which I think, oh God, you speak to me in all sorts of amazing ways. And then there's one I'm going to ask Les to, to play in a minute just as we finish. It's the song that Gary Barlow and uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber composed for the Diamond Jubilee a couple of years ago. Um, and I listened to it, and I thought, hmm, it speaks. Here are the words. Some words they can't be spoken, only sung. So here are a thousand voices shouting love. There's a place, there's a time in this life when you sing what you're feeling. Find your feet, stand your ground. Don't you see right now the world is listening to what we say? Sing it louder, sing it clearer, knowing everyone will hear you. Make some noise, find your voice tonight. Sing it stronger, sing together. Make this moment last forever. Old and young, shouting love tonight. And it goes on. You brought hope. Now, clearly this was composed for the Diamond Jubilee. But think about Jesus in this. You brought hope. You brought life. Conquer fear. No, it wasn't always easy. Stood your ground. Kept your faith. Don't you see right now the world is listening to what we say? Thank you. 